The Bible talks so much about endurance and perseverance. Those are the things we need in the midst of that difficult, excruciating pain, because in time it'll be over, and we don't want to look back knowing, you know, it's going to be over and say, hey, we were such babies, and we whined so much through that. I don't want any regret. Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our guest today is Pastor Mike Fabares of Compass Bible Church in Southern California. His family has learned some lessons from God's presence in times of trouble, and we'll begin that conversation in just a moment. These weekly interviews are available on radio, online, and as a podcast through iTunes, which you can subscribe to free of charge. Also coming soon, we'll have a smartphone app for you to access First Person anytime. Listen for that announcement over the next few weeks. Up-to-date information is always available at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Well, if you are in the throes of a trial in your life, you know how difficult it can seem to keep trusting God at times. Mike Fabares and his family know what that's like, but they've also learned that God's presence in the middle of the trial makes all the difference. Recently, on a visit to Southern California, I had an opportunity to attend a service at Compass Bible Church, and then a couple of days later, we sat down in Mike's study and talked about the lessons his family has learned in tough times. Well, Mike, thanks for the invitation to come to this beautiful church and this study of yours, which is lined with books, <laughs> which uh, just has a great atmosphere about it. This is this is the place where you do your work. It is. It is. Yeah. We want to tell the story of your family. Uh, you have a book called Lifelines for Tough Times that you uh, explore the issue of how God works even in trials, the trials of life. And I want to talk to you about your family story. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I wrote this book is I find as a pastor, so many people expect that... If everything's right with you and God, then, you know, things will be peachy and you'll have no real problems. And, uh, you know, of course, that's not the case. And I thought, what better way to highlight the reality of suffering in the Christian life than just to kind of open the shades on my own life and say, hey, look at the uh, look at the suffering we've encountered as a family. Mm-hmm. This isn't just theoretical with you. This is something your family has had to wrestle with and sure. come to grips with, and God has taught you a lot, so we'll learn about that. Well, tell us the story. Where does it start? Well, when we went in to find out about the gender of our third child, we have two boys already, had two boys already. Um, we had a uh, acquaintance there that was on the uh, sonogram and checking out the, the the gender of our child, and and she had this great beaming smile. She says, "You have a daughter," and within about uh, five seconds, her smile went to mm-hmm. uh, this real disturbed look on her face, and uh, we knew there was a problem. So and you she, hadn't been told ahead of time that there were any issues. No, everything was fine. Everything was great. We had already had two healthy boys, and. Uh, now she she leaves almost in tears to go get the doctor because we knew this gal and she was a friend of the family and doctor came in and said yeah we have serious problems said um, this child of yours is uh, not going to survive I mean he right out of the gate mm. just, she, uh, your your child's gonna going to die, uh, so we need to schedule an abortion and uh, get this moving. Was he matter-of-fact like that? Pretty matter-of-fact. I mean, he, he did stutter for a second. He said, I know you're a pastor in yeah, the I was area. Say, did he know who you are? He did. I mean, we weren't friends or anything, but he said, I, I, I know you're a pastor. That may give you second thoughts, but you really need to schedule an abortion. And before we do that, I'll send you to the genetic counselor and you know, we'll sit you down and, and we'll, you know, we'll confirm the fact that there's no chance for this child to survive. Mm-hmm. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you, I, I know you probably didn't entertain the thought for very long, but I mean, did it send you into what do we do now? No. Uh, well, it did. I mean, it, it, we thought about the 
just like the, those words were like nails on the chalkboard. Mm-hmm. And of course, we were, we I had preached on pro life. Mm-hmm. I had preached against the problem of not uh, seeing the sanctity of life. And so, in our thoughts, it wasn't an option, of course. But uh, we thought we're 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 now into a very dark period here mm-hmm. of having to uh, carry this child, which we didn't think would make it full term. Uh, went to the genetic counselor, of course, same thing. You, we got to schedule an abortion and, and make sure we uh, end this child's life. I and mean, of course, that's not how they say it. That's how sure. we heard it. Yeah. And uh, we said, no, we, you know, that's just not an option for us. We're going to have to uh, find another doctor, which we did. We found a specialist who was fantastic. I just was so thankful uh, for him. And the more he gave us uh, better tests, uh, with better uh, diagnostics on what was going on, we found out that uh, there was a chance that that my daughter may live. Uh, they had misdiagnosed her. They thought that her brain had not developed, but the problem was that um, whatever tools they were using to diagnose that weren't clear, and she really had uh, hydrocephalus and not anencephaly. Um, hydrocephalus is when you've got this water on the brain and your ventricles swell up so large it looked like there was no brain inside of her cranium. Uh, but of course, that wasn't the case. Now, of course, there was still trauma. We knew there was problems, and even this doctor said, "We don't know if your child's going to uh, to live uh, an hour or a week, or we don't know." But this is a serious problem. Take me back to the diagnosis. That first diagnosis. Did people around you give advice that surprised you, or yes. did they support you? Well, of course, our church. When we uh, thought, well, first we had to decide: you know, is this going to be a private matter? Or are we going to tell tell people? And and we, of course, had always advocated to the church, you've got to be open about your struggles. You need the church family. And as the pastor of a larger church, we knew that was going to open up the floodgates of opinion and suggestion. But we also knew it was the avenue to get people to pray and to care for us. And so we shared our uh, diagnosis with our friends and our church family. And uh, yeah, it was mostly very supportive, a lot of prayer. I was also a little frustrating, too, because you had the part of the church that said, well, I just know God's going to heal this child. There'll be no problem. You're going to have a healthy baby. Uh, We just need to pray as a church. You had that response. And then you had some that surprised you that uh, though they spoke as people that, um, you know, were pro-life when it came down to it, they sounded a lot like our doctor saying, Mm. well, you know, I I remember one person saying, God doesn't make mistakes. This is obviously a mistake. You just need to uh, (laughs) abort this child. This is someone that claims to love God, you know. So we had just the whole gamut of opinions and most people though very supportive, but we knew this was going to be a, a difficult time for us. But thank God you carried on. Yes, we did. And uh, tell me about uh, the early days and bring me up to date on that young lady today. Yes. Well, we obviously had a much better uh, prognosis than the initial diagnosis and she beat all the odds. The problem was uh, spina bifida, which was so severe that it caused this problem with her brain. And uh, we knew we'd need a series of surgeries once she was born. Uh, But she came out a whole lot more tenacious for life than anyone expected. (laughs) And she went immediately into surgery. She had uh, spinal surgery and then brain surgery. And she had a shunt implanted in her head. She had uh, legs that were deformed and needed to be reconstructed. A lot going on physically for her. But she came through every surgery and everything just... uh, like I said, tenacious to live, and she exceeded everyone's expectations, uh, and she did real well. They said to us, well, listen, even if she survives, uh, she'll probably be uh, severely um, mentally challenged. She's going to have remedial issues with her thinking and cognitive ability, and 
I mean, she is spry and <laughs> uh, just as, as sharp as any of my kids. All She's right. a wonderful... How old is Stephanie She's today? now 12. 12 years yeah, old. 12 years old. And I can tell your face lights up when you talk about Stephanie. Yeah, well, she's a joy to us. And of course, you know, dad having a daughter and uh, just loving her with all her special challenges uh, has endeared her in a way that I think, uh, you know, dads can certainly understand. It's it's a wonderful relationship that I have with my daughter and she has thrived. She's in sixth grade. Uh, she's keeping up, uh, you know, things can be a challenge like they are for any kid in sure. school, but uh, she's doing well. She walks uh, with assistance if it's uh, not too far. She's wheelchair bound if we have to go very far at all, but uh, uh, lots of challenges in daily uh, routines, but otherwise she does real well. If Stephanie were sitting here, what would she say about what she's been through? One of the things we wanted to make clear is that everybody's got their challenges. So with her, we never let her use these uh, disabilities as an excuse not to, you know, function in life the way that we feel like we all should with uh, ambition and faith and, and, and a focus on doing what we can. And so uh, she'd probably say, why all the fuss? Why all the talk? You know, why are you guys focusing on my, my disabilities? She's um, she's not like those who says she didn't have any. She knows she's got issues. Uh, she can't run or skip or jump or do any of that. But she um, she just makes up for it in so many ways. I just think her personality is so fantastic that, um, you know, y- y- she would wonder why all the fuss about her problems. Yeah. Have you seen that affect the people around her and the people at church? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's easy for us in a very... Um, you know, frankly, in America, just a very comfortable society in many ways. Uh, you know, we get a hangnail. We, you know, we, we're putting it on the prayer chain. Uh, so to see someone who's got so many challenges have such a, a joyful disposition, and she really does, and we credit God for that mostly. Obviously, he's the one who gives her that great personality. But uh, it's been great for people to see her and say, you know what, what, what am I complaining about? Yeah. You know, there's there are issues that certainly need our prayer, but maybe uh, these little discomforts in life shouldn't really lay me on my back spiritually. She has two older brothers. Yes. Do they cut her any slack? Well, no. See, and that's the thing. When mom and dad said we're going to treat her as normally as we can, uh, the brothers had no problem with that. So she's got an 18-year-old brother and a 16-year-old brother. And uh, you can tell she's uh, she's the youngest of two older uh, brothers mm-hmm. who give her a hard time, mm-hmm. but she keeps up. Yeah. So this whole episode of life, real life, uh, with this baby that came along, this special girl, really got you thinking about uh, about the issue of, of God bringing trials into our lives. Sure. Yeah. Well, the Bible has so much to say about it. And of course, I'd been preaching about it for so many years. And then God gives us this challenge and we realize that God has purposes for the pain in our life. And I think that's part of what we've tried to uh, do just in our own thinking about how we take our trials and say, well, we really want to practice what we preach. What is it that God is going to do through this? And just creating a deepening faith, uh, giving us the tenacity to look at um, all that we do and recognize God didn't promise us an easy life, but he wants us to use every challenge in a way that'll bring glory to him and can parlay that into ministry. In 2 Corinthians 1, you know, Paul says, all these things happen to us, and we got through it with the comfort of other Christians, and big part of that is so that we can be enabled and equipped to comfort others. And so we look at this pain in some ways as part of our seminary education, right? We've got to be able to look with compassion at a world that's hurting and be able to minister to them, not because we are detached from suffering, but we've been through our own suffering as well. We're talking with Pastor Mike Fabares on First Person today. His book, Lifelines for Tough Times, will continue in a moment. 
This program is produced each week with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, proclaiming Christ to the world by radio. If you would like to know more about the new radio program, FEBC Today with Ed Cannon, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and follow the links to FEBC Today. Every day, Ed and I bring you stories of lives changed by the gospel through FEBC. Learn more about FEBC Today at firstpersoninterview.com. My guest this week is Mike Fabares, Pastor Mike Fabares of Compass Bible Church in Aliso Viejo. Am I pronouncing that correctly, That's Mike? That's it, yeah, Aliso Viejo. California. Tell me about the church. Well, our church started 10 years ago. This is our 10th anniversary this year, and uh, God has just blessed it. It's been a great place in the, just the heart of South Orange County to have the Word taught. You know, we looked around and saw the need for just verse-by-verse expositional preaching, yep. Seems like Southern California is a place for innovation in church, and we realize there's way too much innovation. We need to get back to studying the Bible, taking it seriously, and uh, preaching it in a way that demands uh, attention, and that we need to live it out. I was able to attend Sunday service here just a couple of days ago, and it was bold bold teaching. Great worship and very bold biblical teaching, so thank you for that. I think we need the truth, right? I mean, there's a lot of folks that can... uh, you know, put a, a nice gloss on top of it, but uh, we need we need to hear the truth. The whole counsel of God. That's right. right. Well, uh, you've also written the book Lifelines for Tough Times, which uh, we've, we've told the story of your beautiful daughter, Stephanie, and, and I'm so delighted that uh, I was able to look at her website and, and see that bright smile that she has there. What a terrific young woman. But it really got you thinking deeply about the what you've always believed and taught, but somehow it seems to have gone deeper because of this experience, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, one of the quotes I have in the book is when Laura Bush wrote her biography and said, you know, when this accident happened in her life and the loss of her friend, she said, you know, I lost my faith in God. And I thought, well, that's how a lot of people naturally react. When the suffering hits, they say, well, there's something wrong with the God I believed in. And I say something bold early in the book. I I said, if if your faith in that God is gone, it's good. Let's let it leave because Hmm. the God of the Bible is not a God that says, I'm going to exempt you from suffering. Uh, God is in charge and he is in control. And I believe that there's not a sparrow that falls from the tree without his oversight. So I've got to believe that these things that happen have all come through uh, the purview and the oversight of God. And so I know what he has assigned for my life, as difficult as that is for people to understand, in this case, is a daughter with disabilities. So I have to look at that and to say, okay, now, God, if you've brought this into my life, what are you going to do with this? I don't want to lose my faith in you. I want to deepen my faith in you. And that's what really the book is all about. Can we deepen our faith in the goodness of God even when we're in pain? Yeah. But you were grounded when this all happened, and it it didn't cause doubts, as I hear you say, but it it drove you deeper down and further in. Yes. Uh, For some people, that doesn't happen. Right. Right. And I blame the church in part for this at large because how often do we hear the message that when you get right with God, then he will give you everything you want. And when they say he'll give you everything, they think in terms of a healthy life and a prosperous life and kids that obey me and you know, and a business that excels. And I like to illustrate it in terms of it's like going into a, um, a gym when you've been told you're going into a day spa, you know, I, I go to a restaurant where I see people get out of their cars and f- next to the gym is a day spa and they're always dressed the same. I never know which door they're going to go in. Uh, but I'm thinking to myself how terrible it would be to think you're going to the spa and someone takes you into the gym mm. 
And there's all that pain in there. And yet people pay for that, just like they pay to go into the spa, because they know on the other side of that pain is something positive. And that's what Romans 8 is all about, right? He's working these things together for good, even though they're painful. And really, the eighth chapter of Romans is all about the pain the church was experiencing. And though all these things that are happening to the church that, that is painful and difficult, uh, the Bible is very clear. God is working this out to do something that he plans that is good. Very important for us to uh, recognize. I know there must have been tears along the way and sure. challenges. I, I can't begin to understand the challenges of, of parenting a special needs child. Some listening know what that's like, of course. and you certainly know what that's like. But what has it taught you about God that you wouldn't have understood had the circumstances been different? Yeah, I, I, I think, and I hate to admit this, but when you go through uh, pastoral ministry and you visit people in the hospital and you're doing funerals all the time, you can start to detach yourself from that pain. Mm -hmm. And that's a terrible admission to make, but you know, you, you know how to comfort people, you know how to bring them through this, and uh, it's easy to not be uh, as empathetic as you should be. And I think the pain in my life has taught me uh, just how badly Christians can hurt and so that when I'm there with someone who is suffering in the hospital or has a child that has to uh, undergo chemotherapy or whatever it might be, I, I think it's very helpful for me to realize, God, you do allow in people's lives a kind of real poignant kind of pain that we need to uh, we need to realize and recognize and empathize. I don't think you can be very good at bringing comfort to people uh, unless you understand some of the depth, of the pain that people can experience as mm -hmm. Christians. And that's important for us to realize. And and the point I make in the book, which I think any good book, any good Christian book on suffering is going to make, and that is this is all temporary, right? And and I think that's what we need to keep in focus. Ultimately, God is going to bring us into a place. There's no crying, no tears. There's no cancer. There's no spina bifida. There's no surgery needed. I mean, that's the place we're all heading to. But in the meantime, we've got these issues to deal with. We need to hold each other's hands. We need to walk through the difficulty and bring comfort to one another, knowing God's working out a good plan. Yeah. The other thing that happens when there's a special need child is it puts extra strain on the marriage. Yeah. What did you learn with Carolyn? Yeah. Well, I tell you, you've got to be committed to marriage uh, in good times and in bad. And there's nothing like uh, a disability of a child or even a death of a child. And I know some people deal with that to put great strain on the marriage. Uh, but really, marriage is about coming into a relationship where we recognize we're giving up our independence. Uh, we're giving up in many ways uh, that, that feeling of having everything my way. And, and I think when you have difficulties and you have so many things that aren't the way you want them to be, uh, if you understand the covenant of marriage, you say, we're going we're gonna to face this together. Uh, it's what we say at the wedding, right? For better, for worse, rich or poor, sickness and in health. You've got to get back to the covenant you made the day you walk the aisle. And as long as we know what this definition of marriage is all about, we can say, listen, it may not feel good right now. It may be a struggle. You may be dealing with it different than I deal with it, but we're in this together. There is no back door to this marriage, and we're going to work hard on, on holding one another's hands and walking through mm -hmm. this. It's just really getting back to what marriage is all about. Some marriages don't survive that, though. No, they don't. And unfortunately, in our day, how often are we telling our kids, we just want you to find someone that makes you happy. Marriage is about fulfillment. And all of those things may happen along the way. But marriage as a covenant is about a faithful commitment to say, I'm with you through thick times and, and thin times, through good times and bad times. And I think in a difficulty, you've just got to come back to that promise yeah. I, that I made to my spouse. Let me ask you this. Uh, since you were the the object of receiving help from other people during this time of, of uh, Stephanie's birth and, and the years that followed, 
What did you learn about coming alongside people and and ministering to them and helping them and yeah. not just saying the words, but yeah. really doing something to Yeah, them? and I think that's it. Sometimes saying the words is just so shallow, right? They say feel like platitudes, and uh, sometimes you just need people to be with you and just to to come alongside, to have that sense that we're going to walk through this with you. We're not going to try to explain everything. We can't put everything in a neat package for you. Uh, and and I, I think I can be honest in saying the disdain that I developed for the platitudes, <laughs> you know, even just the quick quoting of... I was going to say scripture versus... Yeah, you, you can quote God. Romans eight twenty eight. hey, it's all going to work out for good. Sometimes you just need your friends to come alongside and just say, I'm going to be here for you. and be, mm-hmm. be, I'm going to walk through this with you. And uh, I think we learned that about comfort. As a pastor, of course, you're always in that process of helping people, but to know sometimes it's time not to say much of anything, but just mm-hmm. to be here and to state your loyalty to the person um, and not being able to try to explain everything. Mm-hmm. I know we can't look the listener in the eye right now because this is radio, but I just want you to gaze into that face of that person who may be listening who's going through a terrible struggle right now. Maybe yeah. it is producing doubt yeah. and unbelief in their life. And just talk to them about, yeah. about God and his love. Right. Well, I just want them to see it, first of all, as Peter says, is a test. It's a test of our faith. You know, it's, it's like a parent taking a child to get a shot, uh, you know, on the way to Disneyland. I mean, this is a silly illustration I'm coming up with on the cuff. But, you know, here is a difficult time you're going through, and it hurts, and you're crying, and it's painful. But you've got to get to the place in your own life where you realize God has promised to take us to a place he's prepared for us where all of this is gone. We need to endure this because like a shot at the hospital or at the doctor's office as a little kid, this is for our good. Ultimately, we're going to see this develop into something. We're going to look back from heaven's perspective and say this brought glory to God. So just hang in there. Do not turn from God. We seem to turn from the things we need the most. We turn from church. We turn from God. We turn from friendships. Those are That's what we need. Uh, we may not need all the shallow platitudes, but we need the people. We need to look at, at God in prayer and in his word, and we just need to hang in there. The Bible talks so much about endurance and perseverance. Those are the things we need in the midst of that difficult, excruciating pain, because in time it'll be over, and we don't want to look back knowing you know, it's going to be over and say, hey, we were such babies. No regrets. We whined so much through that. I don't want any regret. So we got to kind of, and it does not sound like normal Christian radio, but you got to suck it up sometimes. <laughs> and you got to say, I'm going to endure this. I'm not going to lose my faith in God. I'm not going to pull away from the church or God's people. I'm going to trust God. One day this will be over. And I'm going to look back and realize that God was glorified even in my pain. The book, which Pastor Mike Fabares has written, in which he tells his family's story and shares the spiritual lessons they've learned, is titled Lifelines for Tough Times, God's Presence and Help When You Hurt. We'll post a link to the book on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. And when you visit us online, you'll also learn more about Mike Fabares, the church he pastors in Aliso Viejo, California, and his radio ministry known as Focal Point. That information is all linked at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, thanks for listening today. Our goal is to share the stories of people whose lives have been redeemed and changed by Jesus Christ and His gospel or good news. We have archived all of these stories on our website, firstpersoninterview.com, where you can access them at any time for on-demand streaming. Or subscribe to an automatic feed of our podcast on your favorite device through iTunes. However you listen, thanks for your support of First Person and the organization that makes it possible, the Far East Broadcasting Company. You can learn more about FEBC by following the links at firstpersoninterview.com. 
Next week, helping poverty-stricken children and families in Appalachia. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person.